I would invite you to turn, uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, to the letter of James. As we continue to look to this section of Scripture and to ask God to change us by it. Let me ask you a question. I'm curious why you came to church today. I'm curious what you expect to happen when you, when you come here. Of course, there's nothing particularly special about being in a, in a building like this or, or in singing the right songs or, or anything like that. But why have you come to hear today from, from the Word of God? Are you hoping that God will speak to you? Are you hoping that He will bring some kind of change in your life? What we are about to do is an incredibly, incredibly powerful thing. You see, because God Himself has told us that He desires to communicate with us. He desires to draw near to His people. He showed us that in the Old Testament. At the burning bush, he wanted to draw near to his people. He showed us that in the tabernacle. He wanted to provide a place where people could come and be near him. And then he, he showed that to us in the temple, right? In the temple was, was where the presence of God was. And then in the New Testament, he showed us that by sending his son Jesus to walk among us. He desires to be near to us and to communicate himself to us. Even though it's really scandalous that he should be able to do that. Because the Bible says that he dwells in unapproachable light. And what business has he with dirty sinners? But he has deigned, he has condescended to be among us and to speak to us. So it's not because necessarily we're, we're in a church building or because we, we sing the right songs. Of course, God's not some kind of genie that can be summoned. But we are in faith about to listen to the very words of God that he has said bring change. And so I just want to, to remind you of that before we look to this scripture, that what we're about to do is incredibly, incredibly powerful. As we read these words, the very words that God has inspired to bring about change in our hearts, we are in a very real sense stepping onto holy ground. And so in that light, I just want to say, if you're here today to hear from God, you will. Not because of anything that I have to say, but because of what He has said and what He has communicated. You will hear from Him today. And you will have an opportunity to be changed. Let's read God's Word in James chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Would you pray with me? 
God, we know that your word many times has the ability to cut us to the quick. We know that many times we approach your word and they and it has a, a hard teaching for us. As a matter of fact, many people left Jesus himself in John chapter 6 after he had said some difficult some things that were difficult to hear. But then Jesus turned to his disciples and and said to them, Are you going to go away too? And they replied and said, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. God, I pray that would be our cry today. That would be the cry of our hearts. That we would would look to your word and say, even when it says something difficult, even when it seems to, to cut me to the quick, it is good because it is from you. So God, I pray that today you would do your work by your word. And allow us to be a more pure church because of what you say to us in James. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I entitled this sermon, God Does Anger Better Than You. That's what I've entitled it. God Does Anger Better Than You. Here's what I hope to drive home today. God the Father... Because he's holy, because he's righteous, because he's perfect, he's the only one who really had full rights on being angry. Okay? What did he do with that righteous anger? He turned it away. He diverted it off of us and onto his son for everyone who would believe. And so we as believers... When we learn this truth and when this gospel truth gets down into our bones, we are able to be changed in terms of anger. I don't know about you, but there are times when I am tempted to be angry. There are times when I become angry. There are times when I think that that anger is righteous. There are times when, if I'm honest with myself, that anger seems unrighteous, seems ungodly. So here's the point. Because God who deserved to be angry, turned his anger away from us. We, who have been forgiven by him, can turn our anger away from those that we're tempted to be angry at. Does that make sense? Because of what God has done, we can be changed. And so that's what I'm hoping to communicate today. Many times in James, though, it seems like the different little paragraphs, it's almost like James is throwing different little truths in different paragraphs. It almost seems like he's all over the map. That's not really the case, but I can understand how it seems that way. And the first little paragraph we're looking at, it's actually kind of bridging the gap between what we studied last week and what we're looking at this week. So let's read that, verses 16 through 18. It says this, Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth. How? By the word of truth. The the word begins the work. The word does the work. The word of God does the work of God. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Here's what we learn. The word begins 
the work. Just as we came out of a section last week that was talking about our own temptations, that where does sin come from? Where does sin come from? Sort of, well, from the situations that we find ourselves in, but that's not the cause of our sin. Where does sin come from, really? It comes from the desires, the broken Genesis chapter 3, Jeremiah 17, 9, desires that are in our heart. We do bad things because we want bad things. We have hearts that are from Genesis chapter 3, and from our first parents, Adam and Eve, they're turned away from God. And so we struggle with temptations. And when we act on those, it's not because of something that happens upon us, but because of something that arises from within us. This section, though, is talking about um, this section is talking about how that is not the final word. It's also true that God gives good gifts to us. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. It is, not his desi- it is not His desire to squelch our joy, to turn our joy down. It is His desire, rather, that we live lives of joy. Just, it's, just the, it's just that He knows that real joy is found in Him. So, He desires to, to set our gaze on what He knows will give us real joy, namely, Himself. So when God gives us good gifts, when He fulfills the godly desires that He has placed in our hearts then we are able to remember the purpose of the gifts, right? They're, they're really kind of two ditches. The first ditch is this, living as if life and the gifts that you are given are meant to be spent on yourself. This temptation will, will say to you, hey, if you can afford it, if you can make it happen, then spend what you have on you because you are the point. And if God has given you something, then I guess it means that He intends for you to spend it on you. There's another ditch. The other ditch is living as if God somehow desires for you to be perpetually unhappy. As if walking around moping all of the time is somehow a a mark of spirituality. Well, that's not the case either. The gifts that God gives us are meant to highlight the giver, right? The gifts that God gives us are meant to point to the goodness of the giver, of God himself. When you understand this, when this gets into your bones, when you understand that really all that you have is on loan from God, it's really His. You're just a steward. You don't own any of it. It's, it's, it's been leased to you from, from God, and He desires that you use it for His glory and, and for the good of yourself and your neighbors. Suddenly your family changes. Your kids are no longer a means for you to get happiness. You're not trying to live through them vicariously. You're not trying to you know, relive the life that you wish you had through them or something like that. You desire instead to disciple them to know God above all because that's the only reason He's given them to you. It's so that they can grow up and glorify God. Hopefully. Suddenly your finances change. You're no longer enslaved to competition and keeping up with the Joneses or or the envy that comes along with, with wanting more. Now you understand that everything that you have was already God's. And so you can live in an open-handed, sacrificial kind of way. Trusting that God will always provide for your needs. He has never let those who are His go hungry. And then suddenly your goals change. You begin to value holiness over happiness. Contentment over competition. Pleasing God over pleasing man. Why? Because He has given you the good gifts. He's given you everything that you need for life and godliness. And why? How has this come to be? Verse 18 reminds us of His own will He brought us forth. How? By the word 
of truth. It's the Word of God that does the work. It's what changes us. It's what recalibrates us toward the truth, takes our focus off of self, puts it on Christ, and then fulfills us with joy, real joy, not just the passing happiness that can come through possessions or, or the meaning that we find in, the, in our own pursuits. But then the Word also brings change. Look at verses 19 and following. This is the change that the gospel brings once it does get down into our bones. Once God gives us the ultimate gift of the gospel, He's given that to us through His Word. He brought us forth by the Word of truth so that we could be His. When He makes us His, it changes our desires. One of the ways that shows up is in anger. How we relate to anger. Look here in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And why did God have to put that in the Bible? The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think he put it there because that's how it feels. It feels that our anger will actually accomplish the righteousness of God. When we're angry, when all we can do is see red, right? When you're in that moment when somebody has wronged you or, or some situation has, has come upon you, it seems like in that moment everything that you feel is exactly what God would feel if He were in your shoes. But the anger of man does not accomplish, does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Let me, let me paint a picture for you. Imagine going to a funeral. Everybody's there. The pastor steps up to the podium. He clearly knew the deceased well. And he begins by saying something like this. He says, let me tell you about Fred. He was a great guy. Got angry quicker than anyone I ever met. Wonderful man. Never listened to anybody. Just salt of the earth fella. Always ready to share a big opinion, especially if you haven't asked for it. Solid. Solid friend. You wouldn't expect to hear that. As a matter of fact, if you did hear something like that, it would suddenly become a really, really awkward moment. Because nobody at the end of their lives wants to be remembered for being quick-tempered, for being quick to speak, slow to listen. Nobody wants to be remembered that way. Nobody actually shoots for that. Nobody desires to, to be that. No one aspires to these qualities. So the Bible has a really hard teaching that it seems to set forth consistently. If the gospel has taken up residence in your heart, it will be evidenced by certain fruits. If the gospel has taken up residence in your heart, it will issue in a changed kind of life by certain patterns of behavior. And a turning away from anger is one of them. Turning away from anger is one of them. It's how we imitate what God did for us in the gospel. Do you see that? As we turn away from anger, we're imitating what God did for us in His very salvation of us. We all know that anger is bad. Angry fathers can ruin sons. 
I mean, my goodness. Words said in anger can't be taken back. You say words in anger in the midst of perhaps one of your worst moments in your life, and then you just kind of convince yourself that time heals it, and, and you get further away from that, and the chasm grows between you and your wife, or you and your husband, or you and your friend, or you and your relative, or you and whoever, your coworker. The chasm just grows and grows. And you become convinced that, no, I can't revisit that. I can't go back and apologize now. We're able, friends, Christians are able to turn from anger because at the cross, God turned from his anger against us. And he poured it out on his son, Jesus. And for those who have experienced that forgiveness, for those who have experienced that salvation, it makes sense suddenly to turn away from anger. For those who have come to understand and receive the gospel, anger just kind of simply loses its appeal. A lifestyle of anger does not mark Christians. Struggle with temptations though we may. And friends, the struggle is real, right? I mean, we all should be honest about the, the temptations and the struggles that crop up in our hearts. What seems to be natural. Maybe it's anger for you. Maybe it's passivity for others. Maybe it's jealousy or envy or, or just a, a constant believing of things that are not true. Whatever it is, we, we, we of course have temptations, but no longer do we desire to run toward these things. No longer do we desire to, to view anger or, or envy or or uh, competition is some kind of, or unholy competition is some kind of virtue. You know what anger is? You know where anger comes from? In the Garden of Eden, before Genesis chapter 3, when God said he, he created us in his own image, right? That's what the Bible says. That man and woman were created in the imago Dei, in the image of God. Well, God is a God of justice. He's a God who understands right from wrong. It's actually His very character. He is right. So when God created us, He implanted inside of us this little sense of justice. This sense of right and wrong. That should be there and it is a good and holy thing. The problem is, because of what happened in Genesis 3, that sense of justice has been twisted just a little bit. Does that make sense? Now, we're not seeing as clearly as we should. Our gauge is off just a little bit. We don't get angry about things that we should get angry about. Things that really grieve God don't grieve us as much. Other things that we do get overly angry about, God doesn't desire us to get so angry about, right? Because our, our sense of, of justice, our gauge is just a little bit off. It's just like my friend growing up who had a BB gun that always shot just a little bit to the left. And so you had to, to kind of correct for it, right? Because the sights were, were off for, for one reason or another. And so we enter our lives every day. Yes, we have this sense of justice is placed here by God, but our vision is off just a little bit. We're apt to not see the situation the same way God does. Does that make sense? And so when, when we begin to, to become angry, we have to recognize... We have to recognize that our gauge is off. We may not be seeing the situation in the very same way that God does. Further, anger is closely tied to pride. You ready for a gut check? Here's a good little self-examination test. Do you want to know how prideful you are? You want to know how much you think of yourself? 
How angry do you get when someone wrongs you? The more important that you think you are, the more angry you'll get when somebody uh, offends you. Do they not know who I am? Do they not know who I am? Why would the thought ever cross their mind to cross me? You see, the more important we think we are, the more indignant we get when somebody else crosses us. We've placed ourselves in the seat of God, who is the only one who should have the right to become as angry as oftentimes we do. You see that? But you say, isn't there righteous anger? Well, of course. True enough. Isn't that in the Bible? Of course it is. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. So the Bible leaves the door open. For the possibility that it is possible to be angry and then to not discharge that anger, that anger with sin. Okay, It's possible. It's possible. The problem, though, is all anger feels righteous in the moment. All, because of that sense of justice that's inside of our heart, because, we, because God has planted it there, and then because Genesis 3, Jeremiah 17, 9, because it's become twisted, all of our anger feels like we're totally justified in the moment, right? It does. It feels that way. Our built-in sense of justice is at work. We sit there and we stew over how wrong it is that what happened. Our sights are off. I want to give you a a quote that I thought was really profound. You know of the group Alcoholics Anonymous. They have a multi-step plan for those who go through to seek to get out of their addiction, their life of addiction. Step number 10 includes this quote. Listen to this. We have found that justified anger, right? The good kind. Justified anger ought to be left to those better qualified to handle it. We have found that justified anger ought to be left to those better qualified to handle it. This is why I've entitled this sermon, God Does Anger Better Than You. So why don't you leave it to Him? He's the only good judge. He's the only one who is seeing straight. He's the only one whose sights are not off. His gun doesn't shoot to the left, right? He doesn't have any kind of veil in front of his eyes. He doesn't see through a glass dimly like we do. And here's why this is so important, friends. I'm encouraging you. I'm encouraging you to... to, to to when you see that anger begin to crop up in your heart, to watch out. Because of our fallenness, we are so easily led into sin through even righteous anger, even justified anger, even when we're angry at stuff that we should be angry at. Because of Genesis 3, because we're fallen, we are probably not best qualified to handle that anger. We will probably, usually, discharge it in a way that does not honor God. Listen to what the scriptures say. So even the, the seemingly small character matters are evidence of whether or not Christ has taken up residence in our heart. Listen to what it says in Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh, right, the bad stuff, the works of the flesh are evident. Listen to this list. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, which just means living for whatever feels nice, idolatry, Sorcery, okay, well, I'm talking about witchcraft. Enmity, strife. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, 
and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does the weight of that hit you? That in the middle of that list that includes a whole bunch of really, really what we consider bad, bad sins, in the middle of that list is anger, is enmity, is strife, divisions, dissensions. Do you you feel the weight of that? And of course, it doesn't mean that you've ever been angry in your life, and that means all bets are off. I'm sorry, heaven has been closed to you. The reality is this, though, that if these things mark your life, they are evidence that perhaps Christ hasn't yet come in. That's what the Scriptures are teaching. If these things mark you, says this later, chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Here's a further word. A lifestyle or a pattern of anger can disqualify a person from the ministry, from leadership in a church. Can I tell you a story about myself? You know, I shared this Wednesday night. When I first got here, you, you all know, and, I, and I, I, don't, I don't think that outward appearances are as important to, to you all as they are to others, but I prefer to, you know, uh, to, to dress a little more like I do today. And, and uh, I had to, for the first couple of Sundays, I had to wear just kind of something that I went to Clarksville and bought because a, a, a moving company treated my family very, very poorly. Very very poorly. <laughs> and as they continued to be grossly negligent and continued to double down on their poor treatment of my family, I was tempted. I became angry. And I was tempted to discharge that anger in an ungodly way. Now, before God, I don't believe that I did. I left them a very interesting Google review. I would encourage you to go read it. It's a wonderful piece of literature. (laughs) But I remember sitting right over there thinking to myself, how I respond to this is going to show this church whether or not they've made a good decision. Whether or not they've just called somebody who's qualified for the ministry or disqualified. Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. He must not be marked by quarrels, in other words, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. So this doesn't mean he should just lay down, but he says correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. That they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The reality is this, friends. Anger. It's not that if we step on the wrong landmines, God is going to send us out of his presence to the bad place. It's more like this. He said, here's a, here's a pattern of life 
that if you have really been changed by God, you will evidence this pattern of life. And it's a warning to us to keep a close watch on ourselves and on our doctrine, right? Because the lives that we live don't save us, right? Good works do not save us. Being a good person doesn't save. Why? Because there's no such thing as a good person. There was only one good person, and he went to the cross for us. And it's only through faith in him that we can be considered good. Being a good person doesn't save because you don't have a chance at being a good person. But the reality is this. If you have been changed by God, it will issue in a new set of desires. And so we should, we should run toward these things and we should watch our own pattern of life. So what do we do? How do we, how do we handle anger? What do we do when we see anger cropping up inside of us? Well, I've given just, hopefully these will be really practical examples of things that you can do. First off is this. Remember that your sights are off. When you start to see red, when, you, when, when your sense of justice starts to get like, that button starts to get pressed and, and lights and sirens start going off in your mind, when, when that starts to happen, when those angry feelings start to crop up, remember that your sights are off. Preach to yourself in that moment, you know what? I'm probably not seeing this situation exactly as God is. Maybe in, a, in an hour, I'll be closer Maybe in a day or in a week, I'll be even closer to, to my vision and God's vision like coming together. So right in the moment, remember that your sights are off because of Genesis 3, because of Jeremiah 17. Secondly, remember that God is judge and not you. This gives you rest. Why? Because if God is judge... And if you really believe that he is who he says he is, and if you really believe that everybody's going to have to answer for what they did in the body when they go to see him one day, if you really believe that, if you really believe what the Bible says, what, what Christianity teaches, then guess what? You don't have to get revenge. Because God will settle it much better than you ever could. So trust him. Trust him. God is judge, not you. This is how you can patiently endure evil. Thirdly, get small. Get small. The smaller you are in your own eyes, the less tempted to be angry you will be. In other words, if you think you're super important, ah, oh, who's going to cross me? But if you think that you are, if you see yourself as simply a servant of the Lord, a dirty sinner who came from dust and one day will return to dust, if that's all you believe that you are, you're not going to think you're not going to be driving around thinking that you're i don't know king tut get small preach to yourself lord i am nothing i came from nothing i will return to nothing i'm a broken sinner give me grace to be humble and lowly give me grace to remember what you have said about me and then lastly remember the gospel remember that the god who saved you saved you by turning his righteous anger off of you and putting it onto his son. And because God did that, because God, who is the only one who deserved to be angry, because he's holy, you're not, because God is the only one who really deserved in the full sense to be angry, you can kind of get off your high horse a little bit. Let the temperature cool. You can turn your anger off of whatever situation or whatever person you're tempted to be angry toward. Because God did it. For you. So, lastly, I want to leave you with this a beautiful picture of how the Word of God has bookends every now and then. Remember in verse 18, 
where it said that it's the word of God that brought us forth. It's the word of God that placed us in his family. Look now at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted what? Word. Receive the implanted word with meekness. Meekness, humility. That's how we turn away from anger. How else do we turn away from anger? By returning to the Word of God. By letting the Word of God get so big inside of us that we can't be big and important anymore. The Word is able to save your souls. Running from filthiness, anger, lust, immorality. It's how we show that God's Word and God's Son has, have taken up residence inside of our heart. Friends, I would ask you. I'm not just trying to give you another rule to follow. I'm not saying, hey, good good Christians run away from anger. I'm not trying to give you another box to check. I'm trying to say, I'm trying to say that Jesus offers change. He offers heart change, deep level heart change through the gospel. Would you look to the gospel and let him change you out of worship, out of worship to him and for who he is? Would you close your eyes and pray with me? God, I thank you for your word. It gives us, many times it gives us a hard message. It gives us a hard lesson, but it's good for us. God, I'm thankful that your word isn't just a bunch of dry, dusty doctrines, but they actually touch down in our lives. They teach us that we can be changed through the knowledge of Jesus Christ and through your word getting so big inside of us that we can't live by our own rules anymore. God, I pray... I pray that we would be people who flee from anger, but not just to show that we, we're good people, not just to check another box, not just to follow another rule, but I pray that we would, we would run away from anger because it imitates what you did in the gospel. We want to be like our Father who saved us. We want to worship you with our lives because of what you did, the change that you wrought inside of us. God, I pray that we would live outside of the gospel, out of the gospel, out of the overflow of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Lord, I pray that if there's one here today who's, who just says, you know what, hearing this sermon, my whole life has been marked by anger. My whole life has been marked by envy. My whole life, like that, that's all I live for every day. I haven't come to know Jesus. That today... They would come down front, speak to me, and ask, how can I be a Christian? How can I experience change? And that today they would see that, that God, that you turn your anger away from them and onto your son for everyone who will believe, everyone who would turn away from their sins and trust in Jesus Christ as their only hope. God, would you do whatever work you need to do in each of us today? I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.